0: world wide welcome everyone to global brothers podcast we're excited to have today's guest on uh a brother that we've known for a while very inspiring brother both uh to heath and myself and uh, one that we're glad to call a friend as well, Mr. Habila Malgui. He is a global citizen, an entrepreneur, an investment banker, and a wealth specialist. Just love being around that guy because I know, like, you know, something's going to rub off. So here we are.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, man,
2: let's, let's get into it, though. Um, son of Africa, okay, how does that define your journey? Like, tell us about you being a global ambassador, a son of Africa, um, the pride that you have uh, in some of the things that you do. You're a a door opener or a linchpin to a lot of people's wealth, a lot of people's um, vision and goals. So you're kind of a gateway. People can go through you and some of the things that you do.
3: Well, I mean, um, you know, in as much as, and I'll start by saying that uh, I, I would, I, I think that one of uh, the most, uh, you know, privileged out of so many Black people around the world, um, and as an African as well, it is very important that uh, I actually put on that crown. Now, so many people don't really understand that we as Africans, as Black people, we're powerful. We are intelligent, we are smart. Uh, and we should never allow anybody to look down on us or tell us we can't do something. So I would say I've been privileged uh, to start with. However, the fact that I come from Africa and also Nigeria as a country uh, in particular has actually given me that confidence that, see, I have to do way above the standards that the world has actually placed us.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, today, you would hear a lot of mm-hmm. stories about, you know, being Nigerian or, or you're Nigerian or these or that. But you see, those things should never define who we are and who we should be. Uh, and, I, and I recall that so many times I've met so many people and what I try to tell them is that, look, I am better. I am black. I am Nigerian, you know, I, 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 I carry... Uh, a a kinship in me. Um, And and I think my passion right from time has always been to help people in in every other way, you know? I have always had this dream that, and I I, I remember I always tell myself, if I had money, I would help almost everybody in the world. Like people shouldn't be hungry, you know? People shouldn't be stranded. As a little boy, you know, I, I used to think that way. And when I had the opportunity to uh be an instrument to people's life i didn't hesitate all right now i could have impacted people's life either through money either through education welfare or sponsoring or something or even through making them uh, become global citizens but see in the end what matters is that uh i want my people to succeed i want my people to grow i want my people to be seen as world leaders and changers. Uh, we should be, uh, uh, you know, the the, the the what I call it, the change that the world has always been talking about, and it starts with you and I. So everybody has a responsibility to, to 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 be great. We all have a responsibility to change the world. It's a yeah. collective responsibility. You know, let me, if I if I will,
2: man, I, I want to comment on what you just said, uh, especially at the beginning. Um, first and foremost. Um, this has been a long overdue uh, interview, all right? We've been thinking about you for a long time. Um, I think we talked about it uh, a little while back about having you on Global Brothers Podcast. So once again, man, welcome. But you said something that made me think about what someone told me uh, as an educator. And he told me this when I was uh, training to become a principal. I think I was already a principal, but I was in a leadership program and it was very rigorous and tough and i was struggling through the program and i was the only black person in the program uh, there were seven of us so it was six white people and i thought i was the odd man out in the program struggling and a brother told me this and you mentioned it just now he said he we walk through the door more qualified than most people And when you said, I'm actually better, that made me think of that. Like, although we think we have to do double the work or we have to be that much better, there's many times we walk through the door of a space and the attributes that we bring are already at par or ahead of other people. Yeah, yeah. Am I correct in saying that?
3: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but you see, you see, the thing is, for me, I, and I, and I think, I, I, if there's anything I want anyone to actually learn from me today, is the fact that, again, um, when I get to a place, I don't see myself as black.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't
3: see other people as white or whatever, you know, color uh, they are, wherever they come from. I see myself again. The word better, mm-hmm. um, and it's important. It's very important that we all carry that mindset because the moment you get into a place and you say, damn, I'm the only black person here. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to do double of what others, you know, are going to do before I can get this position. Then trust me, there's a a high chance that you're not even going to get the position. But when you come into that place as an individual that is intelligent and know what you're doing and you know that you are the best in that room, nobody can take that position away from you.
2: Right. Yeah. And, you know, you remove something when you do
3: that. We had this
2: conversation, I believe, on our last show. Um, there's a term called stereotype threat. Yeah. And that is a term that people in whether it be marginalized groups or disenfranchised groups with, carry with them. And that's, when I was, that's what I was carrying with me. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about is removing that threat, of course. taking it off your shoulders, taking it out of your psyche. And basically saying, I'm, I'm the best. Forget the oh, yeah. race, forget the gender, forget the nationality, forget the passport. Mm-hmm. I'm the best guy in this room, or I'm the best human being in this room. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I would say more than likely a Barack Obama probably did that in order to ascend to the presidency. He of had to course. remove those layers that's embedded in us and in order for him to focus on the job. Yeah.
3: And he, you know, I tell you what, uh, and all through my career, I think I've always been the, more or less, the odd guy in the group. And people always look like, oh, wow, I mean, okay, how did you get here? But you see, I got myself there, of course, with God, but I made sure that they see me to get me there, um, no matter what. And I'll tell you a short story. When I was doing my, uh, just right after my, my university and I was um, going for my military service, uh, NYSCN, not a military service. So it's called the National Youth Service Corps. And in the camp, um, I recall that a friend of mine asked me, so where are you going to be posted to? And I had plans to basically walk in the back because I studied economics. So my plan was I was going to work in, a bank called GT Bank or somewhere or somewhere anyway, my, my father was going to fix me or whatever. I didn't really care much anyway, but there was something that I said, and I said I, w- I, I was going to walk, I was going to Chevron, and I had no idea about that. Like I had, I don't know where it came from. I just said it that I was going to be posted there. And they looked at me like, hmm, okay. And of course, Most people who actually get posted to Chevron at that time, because it's more or less the biggest and the largest oil and gas company in Nigeria, or rather in the world, more or less. They're mostly people who have graduated maybe from Harvard or wherever, you know, uh, schooled uh, internationally. But I had a mindset that I was going to get in there. And I recall that I met the lady who was helping to post people and she had already arranged and told me that I, my letter was coming from Guarantee Trust Bank and I was going to be posted. I was like, cool, that's fine. But I tell you, Keith and Marlon, when my posting came, I was posted to Chevron. And when I told her, she was shocked. She said, how did you do it? Your name, we didn't, put, we didn't give your name to them. And I said, I don't know. What I'm trying to point out is the power of the tongue and the mind, what you think comes into existence. I mean, if you think today you can't make it to this place, you won't. But if you sit down today and tell yourself, I will make it to that place, then you definitely will. It's all about in our mind and in our tongue. And I made it. I made it. And to be honest with you, that has been the start of my career from that very moment. I realized, and that's why I'm very careful these days with what I say, because I realize that whatever you say is very powerful and it might actually affect you positively or negatively.
0: Great. Great point there. Um, and I definitely agree with the uh, you know, positive thinking thoughts into reality. I wanted to... Um again, to, 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 you know, touch on your background, because um, I, I, I do think that where you're from as well does have a lot to do with um, uh, just like, you know, what's instilled in you from like an early time period. So, um, you know, can you, can, you, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about growing up in Nigeria and um, what you love about Nigeria? And then afterwards, like, you know, what you would hope can change in that uh, 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 African giant within the next 10 years?
3: Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I am probably Nigerian again, and I always say this anywhere, any day, any time. Uh, I happen to come from a family where my parents traveled a lot while you know, we were kids, um, uh, because my, my dad was, was a very tough immigration uh, individual, uh, you know, and so we had the opportunity. However, Nigeria has always been a place where you know, we grew up in. And I know it was, it, there were good times, there were bad times, um, but one thing that my father always told me is that your home will always be your home, no matter where you go to. Always remember where you come from. So I wouldn't really say I had a very tough growing up. So I mean, a tough time growing up. Uh, but but yeah. But we've I've seen a couple of challenges. You know, I would say in my own adult life personally. So I cannot really. Um, uh, talk about, you know, so bad times uh, growing up as a kid, but yes, we, I had a fantastic time uh, growing up. Uh, I, that's just it in a nutshell.
0: Um, uh, I didn't really like mean like, you know, any kind of like hardship stories at this point, like more so like, what did you love about Nigeria? What do you love about it? Oh yeah. And, and, and like, in terms of like, you know, like with any place, even if, like, you might say it's the most powerful country in the world, America has problems, I could, I, I could reel off loads of them right now. And, like, what I would hope can change in the next 10 years. That's what I mean, you telling us from your experience now as an adult, what you, can, what, what you would hope can change for Nigeria to lead Africa. And as well, what did you love about it growing up? So I think I love the fact that
3: Nigeria is such a family-oriented kind of place. We love people. We're very welcoming. Um, with so much corruption, though, which I believe that we, as young people, are the future and should be able to change that narrative. All right, uh, I've been an advocate of saying that in the next five to ten years, young people should be able to rise up to lead the country. And I, one person, throwing my heart into the ring and saying that I. Want to come into that uh, th- that ring of uh, a leadership to be able to change the narrative? Okay? okay. Now, with so much things going on, you find out that in Nigeria till today, you still have you know uh, power issues. I mean, this is 2020, and a country like Nigeria that is the giant of Africa with so much wealth, 20 percent. Okay, we have entrepreneurs growing at 20% annually, which is the biggest anywhere in the world. You have people becoming millionaires every single year in Nigeria. However, we're still battling with bad roads. And this has, not, this has been right from time. You cannot really travel from point A to point B easily. Mm. So I really believe that the people who can change Nigeria as a country is myself and all the people out there, you know, the youth, the young people. We should be able to rise up to change the narrative. We've seen how other worlds operate, uh, operate. We've seen how, you know, other leaders, especially in the UAE, how true leadership has been able to transform the country itself. And even during this pandemic, you can see how things were being handled. No place in the world had handled the pandemic issues the way the UAE did. Mm. And what does that show you? It shows you a true leadership, good leadership. So by the time that we as individual young people can actually uh, realize and understand that, look, it is time for us to come out. We should forget about being scared or anything. No, it is time for us to actually rise up and get things right in that country as Nigeria. From way back that I know, trust me, Nigeria has been probably worst right now. It is in the worst place at the moment. Before, maybe we, we had, we could maybe at least leave a little bit, there was a little bit safety, but right now it's worse. You can't even be saved in your own country. A couple of weeks ago, I lost a brother to Boko Haram. He was killed, he was shot. He was shot. Um, and, and, it, and I can't understand why our government keeps betraying their own citizens. You cannot. The money given for this military people to be able to fight this you know, terrorist group is being taken into someone else's pocket. So how can we move as a country? We need new set of leaders to be able to, to change this whole concept and narrative and corruption issues that we have that has eaten deeply into our society.
2: Hey, my condolences, our condolences to uh, your friend. I'm I'm very shocked because I thought Boko Haram was dissipated. I thought it was gone. Wow. Um, So let's transition, man. Um, You know, you being a... uh, a leader in the African market for uh, art and capital. Um, tell us about financial literacy, um, why it's important to you, know, to, you uh, to, to educate um, people in the, uh, in the continent as well as the diaspora about financial literacy. I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer question, but please give us your perspective.
3: Keith, I tell you one reason why I've taken up finance us, a carrier, is simply to liberate my people, all right? And I'm very, uh, I, I, my words are really, really strong on that aspect because I, I, I do know that um, there are so many issues around the world, especially when you carry a passport coming from Africa, Nigeria, right. most especially, all right? Today, I walk into a bank in, let's say, maybe uh, Monaco, right and i want to open a bank account okay i'm a clean business individual uh but they tell me oh sorry we can't open your bank account you have to wait for two three weeks however a guy from again you know uh, nothing against anyone but a guy let's say from india or somewhere walks into that same bank all right and probably has criminal records but he still gets the opportunity of having an account in 48 hours. So what I have seen, I told myself, I said, no, I need to be able to be in the system to educate my people, to tell them how they can actually improve their finances, that's one, help them provide funding for projects, help my people in getting investors to be able to grow their business. Because we can only help ourselves. Nobody else can come to Africa and we, you really think that he wants to help you. No, no. People only come to take. Right. They do not come to give. They come to take. So when you talk about finance, then our people have to be the same people that should help each other. So we need people like myself and other people to be able to, uh, you know, educate other people about saving plans, about insurance policies, about international investments, yeah. about investor program, about investing their funds in the continent itself. And I'm happy that I've been opportuned to at least broke a couple of you know, deals here and there for investments to remain in Africa, which is the most important thing as far as I'm concerned uh, that, that, that we should all do for ourselves as Africans. And of course, we're talking about Black Lives matters all around the world. And we're talking about in America that black businesses are not really being encouraged. They don't get loans and, and so on and so forth. But trust me, the black man needs to understand that they are the only ones who can help themselves at this time. And until we show the world that we can do it, the world would always think that we need them to get to where we're going to. Uh And I watched this movie, I think, is it The Banker or something? And, you know, uh, if if I recall The Banker, where he, you know, two black guys, I think they had to go open a bank in Texas. And just because... The, the people in the community found out that they were active. The bank was owned by black people. Those funds, they started withdrawing out their money. Right. But we need to support ourselves. We need to support black business. We need to support investment in Africa. We need to grow Africa as a continent. Hey, I want to stay there real quick uh, with Art and Capital. Okay, so your job
2: um, is uh, VP of Africa. Tell us some of the success stories and maybe one or two or and then a barrier that you have in really getting the uh, People in the the uh, continent aware of financial literacy and
3: where they need to go So as Atom Capital again, what we do is we specialize in citizenship by investment programs Uh, so one of the success stories I would say is that when before I joined Arton & Capital, we had no business in Africa. We were never Africa-focused. And so when I went to join the company, I went with what you call the African dream. Uh, and it was really funny because a lot of people always hear about the American dream, but not the African dream. Uh, so when I got in there, I said, we're going to change something. And in that way, we were able to get some very good investors from Africa to tell them that, look, if you are worried about your investment sticking in Africa or you have mobility issues, this is how we can help. And we were able to present to them what you call the global citizenship uh, investment strategies, whereby you invest through the foreign direct investment FDIs in other regions, and you are able to acquire a passport to allow you travel freely across the world. All right? So we as a company are not directly into investment in Africa, but rather we assist individuals to be able to uh, obtain a second passport so they can be able to travel, do business, and have uh, m- m- you know, a better uh, a mobility uh, a s- strategies or standard for themselves. So, are
2: you saying that a billionaire in Nigeria cannot travel? He can't. Uh, and it's
3: very funny because God, that's you, insane. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, so you cannot. You need you need to go into an embassy to get a visa. Sometimes you need to stay a week or two weeks to get that visa. So imagine if you have a deal in uh, in London and you're stuck in Nigeria and you have just three days or two days to go sign that deal, okay? You are a multi-billionaire, but then one thing restricts you. You cannot fly. You have the jet waiting for you at the airport, but you don't have the passport to fly with and you have to go through the embassy and you have to spend at least five days in the case of United Kingdom for you, right. or maybe three days now, now they have three days, but you can imagine the time being wasted. You can imagine yourself having to go to the embassy to go through those screening and to shock you. Some people still get rejected. You know, I, okay.
2: Yeah. So I went through, uh, my wife is, uh, from ethiopia and we had to do her what is it the uh visa for america right her residence visa Mm -hmm. and it took about maybe six months but in that six months i heard stories i was on google i was hearing all this is there a governing body dealing with some of the for lack of better words racism or you know, in in, in passport or amortization, if you want to call it that. Not amortization, but um, uh, immigration. Is there is there some type of um, like
3: organization that addresses some of this? Well, there is none. Uh, I would say the only organization would be the United Nation, right? And United Nation actually clearly states that uh, every individual has a right to a second citizenship you know, we all have rights to that. But in general, there is no particular organization that checks, put all these things in checks. There's there's none, apart from, I would say, the United Nation, which, of course, is the governing body of the world, uh, uh, you know, in general.
0: Um, a A couple of questions regarding African passports. Um... Number one, what's the most popular country in Africa that's looking for second citizenship that you've seen? Um, what's the most popular passport out there in general in terms of the country that's offering second citizenship that people are, like, you know, um, signing up for regularly and that you recommend? Um, and then, like, uh, something quite important to me. I have, you know, I have American citizenship, but um, i very Pan-African-minded. And uh, I would love to see an African country actually have a strong passport. Um, Is there anywhere that's like in talks about that? Like, uh, you know, be it Seychelles or Mauritius or Cape Verde? Yeah, so basically I would start with um, the
3: the first question. And uh, to answer, it's Nigeria, okay? Nigerians are known for traveling. Uh, We love to travel. We always want to move uh, around the world. So when you talk about the country that... Is very popular for applying for the second citizenship It's general nigeria nigerians love to and i know that from 2000 and probably 16 till date we've done probably more than 500 nigerian uh, applications we've actually processed more than 500 application which is huge uh in numbers now most of them again would go for uh a, a passport program and not a residency program because these are two different things. You, you have the residency and you have the passport program. Now, the passport program are mainly for those who just want to be able to travel. And that, just like the billionaires we're talking about with here, someone who really, really want to just get on the flight, go do his business and come back. Now, because this program isn't for people who are more or less a low income individuals. So you find out that the number, it's not that big because you need to be able to display a minimum income of at least a hundred thousand us dollars or even three, four, 5 million euros or dollars when it comes to some certain programs. So it's not basically for uh, everyone. Uh, but however, we see a lot of them going towards the Caribbean islands like Grenada, like Antigua and Barbuda, And currently we're seeing programs in Europe like Montenegro uh, we're also seeing programs in Cyprus uh, and Portugal as well. Uh, so these are basically the popular countries that, um, that, that that actually a lot of people would go for. Now, when you talk about which of the country, probably there, is, there are talks. Yes, we've been talking to like Mauritius as well as Seashells. Because these are the two African countries that have very strong passport. A Mauritius uh, passport or a Seashells passport can actually take you to over 120 countries visa-free, which is as powerful as a European passport. All right? It's a very small island. Um, we actually also tried to talk to Ghana. And mainly for Ghana, it's because we wanted to see that other people who are Africans but do not have an African passport and wants to identify themselves to be Africans. You can see last year Ludacris got a passport. I think Idris Elbert also got an, a passport from one of those. I can't remember which of the countries. But you see a lot of people, black people from other parts of the world, are now saying we want to identify ourselves as Africans. We want. To, to be called, hey, I'm from Ghana, I'm from Nigeria, I'm from Kenya, I'm from you know, Uganda. So what we as a company have been trying to do is to see how we can speak to other countries to tell them, look, you can actually create a program whereby you can allow other people from other parts of the world to come in and apply and also be called Africans. Dearby, this is the investment we're talking about now coming into Africa. Because at the moment, there's a lot of investment going outside of Africa. But imagine if $2 billion can be generated through this program in Africa annually. That's amazing, yeah. It's a $20 billion industry.
0: Industry, yeah. Would you, would you, uh, would you call that like a repatriation passport? Well, I wouldn't
3: call it a repatriation passport. Um, but I'll call it still a global citizen passport, you know, because the word repatriation means it's a little bit, uh, I, I don't want to use the word repatriation, you know, it's it's like for some stranded person or something. But no, I would still want to call it a global citizen passport.
0: Hey, brother, African-American and Caribbean-American and our Caribbeans are, are stranded. They are a stranded people. And like that, is, that is how we feel like a lot of us. What we need to do, and again, and,
3: and, and I'm ready to lead that delegation, is to tell the African leaders that you should open your doors, your borders to your brothers, mm. the same brothers who were taken from your soil, the same brothers of yours and sisters of yours that your leaders in the past sold, mm. you should open your doors to them. You should be able to welcome them. You should be able to allow them to identify themselves as citizens of that country. Mm. Whether it be it Kenya, Tanzania, wherever, we should do that, um, and that 's why i don 't want to call it a repatriation passport. I want it to be that someone here, for example, is American, you know you should be able to walk into Nigeria today and tell them, guys, I am black, I want to be Nigerian, mm. and you should be accepted. you should be accepted. Imagine the amount of contribution that other black people around the world can bring into Africa if only their doors are open and they yeah. accept them. So much knowledge, so much initiative, so much innovation can be developed in Africa. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what
2: I, I just thought about? Um, you know, people like myself, you know, we're, I'm, I'm one person in the diaspora who, you know, would go back, as you know, Habila, I went back last uh, December where I went to Ghana uh, for the first time. But the the Caribbean person or the first generation, I just thought about this, the first generation or second generation immigrant in the West, whether it be Canada or the USA or, or the UK, they don't really have a home because they're sitting because their parents or their parents' parents came from Africa. So they don't really have that connection. And they're walking around with a blue passport as well. So they're not as connected, just as much as I'm not
3: as connected. Yeah, but you see, this is why where you have the power of the internet, of media, okay? If you really want to be connected, you will be. Mm. Yes, I, I, don't believe, I don't believe that people just don't want to identify themselves with, right. you know, a certain place. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have, again, it's all about the mindset here. Uh, forget about your four or five generations or these or that. No, as long as you carry that mind as an African, you should be able to be rooted, to be connected, to understand this history. I know that there are so many issues with, especially in, for example, in America, where a lot of people don't, um, uh, young people don't really know the history. They don't even know the story. They think Africa is some forest, some bush. As a matter of fact, maybe they think lions just walk on the street. There are no cars on the road. Maybe some, you know, tigers or some giraffes just cross the street. A lot of them actually think that way about Africa, by the way. All right. But they don't know that this same continent where actually their forefathers or their grandfathers come from is as developed and as as civilized as the America or the London or the wherever, Manchester or, or the Italy that they're talking about. The only thing that has killed us as Africans, and I go back to it again, is corruption. The fact that we are not our brother's keepers. And it is hard to say it, but it's the truth that yeah. we are not our brothers keepers. Why do you think an African would say, oh, I'm from West Africa, or I'm from East Africa, oh, I'm from North Africa? Have you ever heard a European tell you or tell you that he is from Southern Europe? Right. It's difficult. very rare. They say Europe is Europe. So right. Africa should be Africa.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, I I think the voices for that is getting louder, Habila, and, uh, um, you know, it does take Brothers Like Yourself, shows like Lower Brothers Podcast to really um, amplify that Pan-African sentiment, you know, like, obviously, we didn't start it, you know, it's like been around since, you know, uh, Kwame Nkrumah, Marcus Garvey, you know, and others, but, um, you know, it does take new media, as you mentioned, we have the media, there's no reason for us to have our our hands over our ears or like over our eyes, the, you know, we have the ability to see and hear what's out there. Now it's for us to take it in, but also for uh, continental Africans to share the good news about what's going on in Africa today. Yeah. We can't yeah. just assume that the West and our Western brothers in diaspora are just going to understand that. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not what we hear about on Western media about just safari. Because that's, that's pretty much all you hear about Africa course, in Western media, safari, 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 safari.
3: Yeah, and, and hungry children. They show you hungry absolutely, kids. Absolutely. You absolutely. know, kids that fly is just, well, you see, there are the good stories. Yeah. There are the good stories like, you know, we have someone like, uh, 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 I can't remember his name, but one of the guys who actually owns uh, 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 two airports, mm. Ogun Lesi, okay. a Nigerian man, owning two airports in the United Kingdom, so, okay? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, this is the same man who was hired the former World Bank president. He hired him. This is the good story we're talking about, okay? Coming out of Africa. Wow. Talk about Ethiopia, uh, you know, the emperor. Uh, it's, Selassie is it's, it's like a god, and I'll tell you what, Till today, I happened to meet one of his, his great-grandsons. Until today, that family is being, uh, they, 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 the, 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 the English royal family still serves the Selassie family. They still serve them. Yeah. They you carry know, there, their bags. Yeah. yeah, there's a photo.
2: I was there, I was in Ethiopia in March. And uh, I was at uh, Selassie's house, okay? It's a museum. Uh, I wasn't having dinner but uh, in his museum was a big photo of Queen Elizabeth and I, I don't know who else it was, uh, but they were kneeling to him at oh, his feet.
1: Yes.
3: Oh, yes, kneeling and it happens to still today. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's no stories. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. It still happens till today. The royalty in Ethiopia is one of the most powerful ones in the world. It's right. one of the most powerful ones in the world, and wow. they still I'm telling you. but you see what has happened? and this is why again we have to really really with you know a platform like yours, we need to really project the stories, the good stories that Africa is great, it is rich we can we can we can be the world power. And when I go for seminars and I hear people say, Africa is the next world power. I said, No, you're getting it wrong. It is the world power. Right. And people look at me and I'm like, yes. Because every one of you go to Africa to take diamonds, gold, oil. These are people. People, people exactly. People. Take people. People. Yeah. Wow. So this is a continent that is as powerful. But what do we need? We need to be our brothers' keepers. We need to come together as well. We need to unite. We need to forget about the barriers of you're from here, you're from there, mm-hmm. and we need to do the right thing. That is it. We need to do. We need to stop the mentality of fast money making. Just one thing that
0: has killed us as Africans. I love fast segway. Money I love fast. segway, Sibila. Um, like right there, right there with that. A concept of fast money making and like what's what's been holding us down as um you know be it like our leaders um uh you know that 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 are that are in these trusted positions i was gonna ask you like speak on generational wealth because i think that concept really eludes a lot of um uh old school african mentality of just like oh i'll take a little bit today as opposed to think about what you're giving me this little bit of money for how much are you getting We never really, like, considered those aspects of things uh, in terms of African leadership. So talk to us about generational wealth and, like, how really we can help to change the mindsets of, like, young Africans, like, to think about this, not just today. You see, the thing
3: is the young people now, they need to understand that it's not about driving fancy cars and living in fancy houses or buying a house in Monaco or wherever. No. Um, When you talk about generational wealth, you also have to look at the continent itself. Where are you putting that money? Do I want to invest a million, two million dollars that have earned all through my life in Africa so that my children and my great grandchildren can enjoy it? What about building schools? Because you can't talk about wealth when there is no education. And that's the reason why you don't really see generational wealth in Africa. When you go down to India, you have it. Indians that have migrated from India to even Africa in Kenya, you find out that he would tell you, Oh, I'm the fifth generation. This money was my great, great, great grandfather's wealth. This company was owned by my great, 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 great grandfather. But what has happened to us as Africans is that we just want to eat today, and that's it. And this is why we still. This is why we steal from each other. This is why we rob each other. But we need to start investing in our society. We need to start investing in our people. We need to start remembering that let us do this today so that tomorrow our family, our children, the generations to come can enjoy from it. Again, I'm using UAE as an example. This is what uh, you know, the former leader who passed away actually wanted to leave for them, a legacy, so that they can enjoy it for as many years as they can. But remember again, Marlon, when you talk about generational wealth, we should also remember about who takes over. What is the mindset of that individual taking over? What are we doing? What are we teaching the young people today? What, I, what, what, what am I teaching my daughter? What are you teaching your son? What are you teaching, you know, your younger brother? What are we teaching them today? Are we teaching them that, look, you have to save for the rainy day? Or are we teaching them that let's eat today and enjoy our life. Life is good. It's fine.
0: Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh mindset again mindset mentality and and, and yeah tomorrow tomorrow's is another day and it's more than just us um, it's more
3: than more than just us it's more than about the future and each day when i sit down i tell myself i want to be uh, i want to own a company whereby i want to die and leave it for my for my for my children you know for my great grandchildren and i want those kids to know that actually worked hard to keep this for them so right. they can should also work hard to keep that for their own children right you so, know what, so, so this is it the mindset the mind
0: we have to teach we have to teach we have to teach you know what i find as well habila um in like a lot of these colonized uh, you know colonizer countries be it the uk france etc look how proud they are of their institutions. Yeah, people say, this is good because it's French. This wine is good because it's French. They'll say, this handbag is good because it's British. They'll say, this car is good because it's it's Italian. As Africans, we need to start saying, this is good because it's African. So even 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 greater than just the singular family, family structure of generational wealth, we need to start considering the continental structure of generational wealth as, re- well, as, of as well. Of course. Of
3: course. Of course. Tell me, have you ever heard of any automobile company coming out of Africa? You have Toyota Africa. in Asia, right? You have, you, you have, uh, you have uh, a, G- a GMC in America. You have uh, a BMW, in, in uh, Mercedes-Benz
0: in Germany. There's assembly plants in Africa. And um, I, think, I think the closest one to something being manufactured in Africa is a company out of Ghana called K- Kantenka. No, no, but that's the problem. We don't want to have an assembly center. Right.
3: We should have an automobile production this, yes. uh, 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 companies. Uh-huh. The way we have oil producing companies. But do you know what's funny about even the oil producing companies? We drill this crude, especially in Nigeria, by the way. Okay. We drill it. We sell it. And then we buy... Petrol, <laughs> we buy fuel and gas and kerosene back at a higher cost, by the way. But remember, you actually sold the main product. So, what happened to you fixing your refinery? It doesn't take you more than, I'm telling you, it doesn't make, take you more than $10 million, $20 million, okay, to build a standard refinery. I've been involved in financing a couple of refineries around the world, and I know how much it costs. I do know that Dangote is building, I think, about $2 billion, uh, a, a refinery for what's about $2 billion. And that would be probably one of the biggest and the largest.
0: In the world, in the world, I heard. How, how, how close is this to fruition? and And even beyond that, like, what's the... Uh, do you know any inside information on like the ambitions for it? Is it like to help all of Africa in terms of, you know, God has oil, you know, like Angola, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. Yes. This is
3: basically his plan. His plan is that he wants to be the hub. Okay. And instead of us selling oil to Europe and uh, sorry, crude to Europe mm-hmm. and buying at a very expensive price or rate, you just have to just take it just right there. It's just From Ghana to Nigeria is probably uh, two, three hours or whatever, four hours. And you get your refined product and you buy. Mm. Cheaper. I was planning on setting up uh, a, a, a simulator company in Lagos to be the first simulator center across West Africa. All right? And when I did a survey, I found out that So many people were interested. A lot of the airlines in Nigeria were signing up already even before, even before the simulator arrived in Lagos. Because you know what the opportunity I had given them? The fact you can pay me in the local currency. Yeah. You don't need to pay. I asked them. They said, oh, we we spend around $60,000 every six months on each pilot, flying him to London or to South Africa to get into a simulator because you have to get into a simulator every six months. It's compulsory, standard uh, for, for, for pilots. You have to go into a simulator. But I'm telling them, I'm ready to give you at $40,000 and I want you to pay me in Naira. That's, that is what we're talking about. Opportunity. Yeah. Oh. Provide the opportunities. That money is there. Yeah. Why are we buying? Why, why are we spending so much time and talking about how we can change the continent where the answers are right in our hands right there. Yeah. Answers are right there. So, so let's, I'm glad you're on that. Um, this
2: actually segues perfectly into the African continental free trade agreement. Um, what needs to be done there? What needs to be refined,
3: um, in order for that to work successfully? Unifying the system. And it's as simple as that. Uh, We need to unify our system. We need to allow free movement within the continent, okay? There can never be a free trade agreement as long as people cannot move freely. Mm -hmm. And a simple example is, we are talking about having an African Union passport, Mm -hmm. all right? But even the few people that have those African Union passports flew and they were told, sorry, we don't recognize this passport within Africa. Hmm. So it is easy for President Paul Kagame to come up and say free trade. You know why? Because he has opened his borders. He has seen the advantage of opening his borders. Mm -hmm. The GDP of Rwanda has moved from uh, probably nothing to something today. Ever since he launched that visa free, the amount of investment coming in. And let me tell you, I've had so many inquiries from Europeans telling me can you help us get a Rwandan passport?
1: Yeah.
3: How about Malawi? Same situation? Same situation in Malawi. Malawi, as a matter of fact, yes, you can go into Malawi easily. It's not that difficult um, to to, to get into Malawi. However, there are security challenges in countries like Malawi. So we need to be able to treat all this. And again, I talked about the health aspect of it do we have a unified health insurance? Mm. All right? There is none. There is none. There is none. So for Africa to be able to talk about free trade, free trade, free trade, yeah, it's a fantastic idea. I know that all these things I'm talking about are inside whatever the the, the recommendation. But you see, those things are things that were being talked about before the Africa trade agreement started, Mm. came about. And those things were not treated. So how do you think that you can make this work now that you have the free trade agreement? It's, 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 right. it's going to be almost impossible to achieve this. So again, so, the, only way, the only way this can work out is unifying the continent.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so when you say unify the continent, and I'm going to go back to December, okay, where I had my eyes open, looking over the uh, Cape Coast, looking over the ocean, in Accra, just, you know, crying every five minutes, just really, really loving Ghana, right? Mm. Um, and, and, and the same has happened in my two trips to Ethiopia, okay? Mm. Just, just breathing the air feels good. I have a question for you. Uh, and please take your time with this one. Mm. If Africa is not unified, where does that leave the diaspora in, in regards to us coming in Adding value, making an impact. How is that? Ha- how is that going to actualize if Africa is not unified?
3: It, as you can see right now, uh, like again, our doors are not open, right? And so, people who are—it's not outside, easy. Okay? It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. So, people who are outside, as a matter of fact, do not even feel. Welcome, okay? Um, things are not working right now in Africa, and we need to say it the way it is. We, we shouldn't sugarcoat it. Right. But what you have just said is a very, very valid point. If Africa do not unify, where does that leave? The diaspora. And it means that I would remain stuck where I am. And I would say, no, I don't want the stress. I don't want to go back. No, I'm not. I don't want to go back. I don't want the whole headache. I'd rather right. put my efforts in where I am appreciated and I feel safe right. than where I would go to and I don't feel safe. And because I am trying to do the good, a good thing, someone is even threatening my life. But you know that happens. Right. You well, so... so you know a lot of,
2: uh, like myself, um, educators in the UAE, right? All right, we've been to dinner. I mean, we, we know, you, you've seen a crowd full of educators. And most are of African descent, whether they be from the UK, Canada, or America, or, or, or the Caribbean. Can you imagine if we took that
3: intellectual property into African schools? It will be, I don't know how to put it, but we would have probably one of the, not even one, we would have the best education system in the world. But we're here, brother. That's the, I'm, when I, Okay, so I talked to you when I
2: got back from Ghana in December. We talked a little bit on, on WhatsApp. And I can remember telling you that I was going to go to Ghana for a month mm. in February. Yes. I couldn't, I couldn't get in, man. My visa was there. I was, I was ready to go back. I mean, I i actually, my I did a year visa, so I'm I'm still able to go anytime. But I couldn't connect. I was sending emails out into ministries of education and schools and private schools and hmm. public schools, and I was trying to get responses. And even our brother Morris Sinclair is on, on the line. He was trying to work with me to to help me get back to gun. I was going to spend an entire month and really dig deep into the education system couldn't get it i couldn't get a response yeah, the
3: Athena. is the thing is some of these guys don't even read emails i heard that they I don't even that. read emails it's so you can imagine where we are all right we're still probably in the 1990s probably <laughs> they don't read emails you send an email waiting for a reply and you see this is why even jobs it's difficult to find jobs in in, in africa all the, you, you apply for a job and all because they don't even. It's all about someone taking your hand and taking you to the owner or whoever that person is to give you a job. But don't and, even, and, get, and getting a finder's fee from it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. So you can see where we are as Africa. But how can we change this? How can we change this? And this is where investors need to come in smart investors to put up what you call a smart education system. they rid of the old school people. People who don't even have qualifications are teaching in schools in, in Africa. Okay? So how do we expect the next generation to actually be strong enough to match the global trend? When in Africa, there are no simple computers for a child to educate or equip himself for the future. Yeah. Did you ask yourself, like just imagine how we were able to pass through this pandemic period in Africa. Okay. We'd mm-hmm. walk work, work from, work from home and school from home. In my head, I was thinking how can Nigeria navigate online schooling? First right. of all, or social stay- distancing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Because first of all, we, internet is not as easy as it is. You can't can, just, can just have easy internet. So how? So these are the issues that Africa needs to fix. And these are basic things we need to provide to our people. Basic things. Invest in smart education. Be able to bring in people in the diaspora that can change this narrative. But the reason why they wouldn't do this is because they fear you and I. Mm. They're not going to let me and you come in because we'll say no, this is wrong. They want to steal. They want to spoil things. And this is us.
1: Yeah. This is us.
3: It reminds
2: me, it reminds me of uh, the term saboteur in, in and you know, a person who sabotages but, but the saboteur likes confusion and chaos so they can continue stealing and they can continue being who they are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. So, so um, they, they want it to be, the corruption is actually the system. Mm. I learned that. Mm. Um, and, and of course, this isn't to uh, be the a point. We want to move on uh, from this, but when I was in Ethiopia uh, in March, um, I met with a couple educators while I was there. I was there 15 days. So it was a little bit of time to meet with some people. And even those educators, we were going around to a few sites. And then we met, we went to the uh, ministry. And even they told me that, well, you have to meet with this person in order to meet with this person. And then that person in order to meet with that person. And this person is going to ask you for money. I'm like, what? And that's the system, like that's the structure.
3: It is. It is. Um. It, you, you, it's, it's all about money. It's all about money, money, money. And You see, that's what we're told when when, uh, when, about generational wealth, right? We don't think about that. We think about what we want to get right now. I don't care. I don't care if what you are actually bringing to the table is something that will help everyone. No, they don't think about it that way. And this is why... For you to get to that person, you have to go through this person, that person, that person, and probably everyone would
0: ask you for something. As a, um, wow, uh, I'm listening to all this, and um, uh, it does remind me a lot about, uh, like, the Pan-African groups that I'm in that are supposed to be about lifting Africa. Now, I know that, yes, we have to be realistic, um, but to be honest, uh, I think that my background is, has has helped me be, and continue to be idealistic. I realize how many problems and issues that there can be, but like I'm so much like someone that just considers solutions and what can we do to make it right. So I just want to bring up this um, you know, this one example. Like for move on to the next question, of a friend of mine. Uh, she was in the entertainment business here in Dubai and doing you know quite well and successful in terms of book you know booking like American artists, international artists, and uh, you know, doing quite well within that. She decided just like a internal thing. I need to be an African. So she looked around at what was needed. And she said, okay, well, you know, roads are being fixed up in some places. She chose Ghana. And within that, she started doing an automotive business. She didn't know anything about cars. Zero. No one she knows in know cars at all, like, et She decided to do batteries and tires, things that the cars need. So she started looking into international suppliers. Then she found out that in America, they were giving certain loans during the Obama era to actually do businesses within Africa for African-Americans. Mm-hmm. She took advantage of that loan scheme, which obviously is directed directly to Africa. So she got a little bit of loan to do that. So she didn't have to depend on banks in Africa or banks in, in the UAE, etc. You know, so that's, that's, that's one solution that she found to the issue. Secondly, she started talking directly to the mechanics and also the local people. She found out local people didn't trust mechanics in the villages or even in Accra. And the reason what she kept on hearing is because uh, they would fix their car and then it would break down a few like weeks, even like a month later, et cetera. Turns out, talking to the mechanics on the other side, two sides to every story, right? The mechanics didn't have diagnostic equipment. So same thing like you mentioned, Nabila, with the um, uh, aviation simulators, yeah, whereas you get better training, the mechanics didn't have diagnostic systems to actually test the cars before they put them out the door. So then she said, okay, let me get a diagnostic system in here. She got one in there. Now she's training mechanics on the diagnostic system, and then they're becoming her customers and buying batteries and brake pads and these kind of things, and people are starting to trust mechanics again. Mm. So this is just mm. one small example of diaspora coming to Africa. Exactly. Uh, looking at a business exactly. to do, partnering with the local community, not pretending they know more than everybody else, but par- finding out the problem, partnering with the local community, and then developing something around that. And no one from yes. the government has stepped in and said, hey, no, no, you're making money, you can't do that. Yes. So yes. I yes. want yes. us to see that there's also a silver lining as well.
3: Of course, of course. And, and, and I think I would encourage every you know entrepreneur that is uh, out outside of Africa to look at really you know, going back home uh, in, in, in investing in the people there. Uh, I'm really passionate about that, uh, about, about, you know, investing in, 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 in African business, African-owned business, putting in money in Africa. But again, you know, you can't reach out to everyone. And that is why we have friends who can always talk to, to assist in, you know, going back to, to, to develop a lot of businesses for other people. Because trust me, the ideas are there. The ideas are there, we just need that opportunity. And the banks are not even helping matters in Africa. No. The, the, the interest loan, loan rate in, in Nigeria is around 23 or maybe 25% forget about Forget about banks. <laughs> okay, so, so we need individual money, individual investment into that, that, that continent.
0: And Heath and I, and, Heath and I, you know, talk you know talk often as well about like education as a business. So like we can't just look yeah. at it from a from a humanitarian and charitable mindset of like oh kids need education. We have to look at it as a business and sustainable oh, business yeah. model oh, yeah. to go in as educators and business people and develop it with the community.
3: Yeah, I think I I think I had this chat with Heath sometime, and I told him I said I think Heath and Dion, I think I, we had this chat one time if if you recall, and 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 what I said was I said. You guys are just too smart and intelligent. And when mm. I hear he speaks, I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> how can we transform education into proper business? Right. Okay? Right. However, be- however, we need to also have something in mind that this education needs to be affordable. Mm. Yeah. Okay? So when I talk about something, I always look at how can the less privileged Benefit from it. It is very important that even though yes, we're going in as you know business people trying to put the structure together and bring up the best schools you can think of to run it as a business. We also need to think about the people down there. How can they access education?
2: Right. So so I, I brought up Malawi because I'm on an advisory board. I guess I can throw this out there now. Marlon knows. I'm on an advisory board uh, for an American school in Malawi. Mm. Um, I'm actually uh, going to be an investor as well. So, um, and you know, I'm opening up a school here now. Yes, yes. Um, so that's one of the things that, and I'm, I'm really interested in Rwanda and Ethiopia as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, those are areas where, as you said, our, our that that human capital that we possess, once we collaborate, mm. once we, just literally put our heads together mm. physically, mm. you know. Just put them together, and uh, we can we can accomplish so much in the continent. Mm.
1: Um,
2: mm. The price point, the, you know. Um, I would I would even mm. think that people in the diaspora would donate, right? Crowdfund, crowdfund to get us started. Invest. Invest. Course, course.
3: I mean, yes, we're going oh, to donate. I mean, I, I, of course. Sorry, sorry. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, of but. But, but we're, 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 we're currently raising, and I'm leading a delegation, uh, raising a million dollars for camps in Tanzania. Okay? Um, uh, and there are refugee camps, two refugee camps in Tanzania. What we're trying to do, we want to build schools in there. We want to create spot facilities. Those people in the refugee camps are humans. Right. right? Okay? So if their investment... People talking, how about we think about impact investment? Mm -hmm. Impact investment. Being able to invest in areas like that. So how can we bring in money, personal funds to Malawi, to build schools in Malawi, to improve education in Malawi, so that even the common man can access
2: yeah, and I think uh, the UAE being such a great, uh, you know, having great leadership and, and so many um, different educational programming institutions or whatever, the thing that's lacked here, and I'm learning this as a founding principle now, is it's, it's a haves and have nots capitalistic thing here, right? So our price point is oh, yeah. positioned to get a certain um, socioeconomic level yeah, or group of course. people. And then we're looking at schools that are 80,000, 90,000 dirhams per kid. And the kid is five years old.
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, oh, yeah. that's I mean, that's insane. It's, it's insane. I, 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 I know how much I pay for my four year old, you know, uh, right. it, it is insane, but look, this is what it is here. I mean, in, in, in the UAE, um, it's all about business. Okay. Yeah. And people are putting their money because again, um, you have that class of people in the society here, all right? And people can afford to pay. And, of course, if you do want to give your child a good education, then you need to be able to cover $60,000 to $80,000, sorry, dirhams, from your pocket every year Yeah. for a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old. That's the minimum, too, by the way. That's the minimum. Yeah. Okay, for a good good school, for a good school. Yeah. So you can imagine that you're spending even probably more than what the child would spend going to university. Yeah. But well of course because that's over
2: that's I mean if you start at pre-K or K uh, KG that's K through 12. Hmm. That's 60,000 dirhams a year K through 12 and it increases as the kid uh, matriculates up. Yeah. It
3: increases. So, it yeah. increases. Um, probably uh, need to take that, that similar mindset probably to Africa. Maybe that would also improve the education a little bit. <laughs>
0: yeah. Maybe this point can lead to that. Uh, what are your thoughts on remittances that are already coming in from uh, uh, um, diaspora Africans that are living outside now, as well as the power of the black dollar and the black pound? This, this stronger movement that's building momentum within, within African-Americans and, uh, you know, Black British uh, as well. What are your thoughts on that money actually pooling together within the continent to be able to have directed investment? Uh, sorry, let me, let, me, let me set that up with, with like, with like another, another point. If there was clear, transparent things to invest in, I know obviously people that know you can go to you and say, Habila, what can I invest in if they have the funds? But also, even like some basic investments, I have $5,000. Yeah, I'm not a multimillionaire, but I have this much. Can I partner together with others that have small dollar amounts and build our black dollar, build our black pound, and invest in X thing that's managed by professionals on the continent? Where are those opportunities? I I
3: think so. I think think that the issue here is the fact that we do not have, for example, um, uh, uh, Africa-focused funds okay let me use the word now back to finance uh i do know that there are euro bonds and blah 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 where of course if you have five thousand dollars two thousand dollars of course five ten people whatever you can put in there this is how of course europe has been built. however in africa it is difficult um you then need to look for probably companies that are looking for they call it um uh is it seed capitals or seed investment something like that whereby you can come with whatever you have and invest in the company and get one percent, or two percent. OK? Now, I know of a guy who wanted, actually started, not wanted to, started a helicopter Uber business in Lagos. Wow. He looked at the issue of traffic, and he said, "If I can provide a helicopter at a100 dollars, you ride the helicopter from point A to point B just $100, I should be able to solve a lot of issues when it comes to traffic for people and time management. So what he did was to reach out to so many people across the world, so many Nigerians, you know, other African people from Kenya, from wherever, and told them, I have this investment here. I want to start a chopper business that is going to run just the way you have Uber for as low as $100. He didn't have a dime, by the way, when he started this idea. He didn't have no money. But then friends and people who believed in that dream came together, put in $5,000, $2,000, this, that, that, that. And today, he's actually growing. How long did it take him to get started? I'll I'll tell you why in a minute. Well, it, it took him a while, trust me, because he had to do a lot of feasibility studies to be able to even ascertain that this would work number one he also look at the fact that we don't even have very good choppers helicopters in nigeria Uh. so you can imagine the amount of due diligence you have to run on the companies that will provide you helicopters because he doesn't have helicopters but he has the platform where if today you order, just like Uber, Uber doesn't really have cars. People have cars registered with Uber. Okay? So imagine he had to put all this together. I think it took him probably a year. He quit at his job and he said, you know what? When he got it right, he said, this is right. We're going to do it. Huh. And he closed out the first phase of, of investment. I recall someone wanted to invest some money in it. He said, no, I'm done. Seed funding. Seed okay. funding. So, so have, you, you, have you ever been to uh, Cape Coast? No.
2: Okay. So from Accra, Ghana, to Cape Coast, it's about I think two four, and a half hours. Two hours, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of yeah, it. Two, two hours. Yeah, we were in a van, so two and a half hours if you stop. And it's a, it's a grueling ride, you know, it's, especially in a van. It's not, it's not that comfortable. And I thought about a helicopter going from Accra, a tourism helicopter, yeah. going from Accra back and forth.
1: Yeah.
2: And I just, I, mean, I, I just couldn't believe that people come to Accra, they fly in and then they drive two and a half hours up and two and a half hours back. And I was thinking they have to do something about this.
3: Of course, of course. So these are the initiatives we're talking about here. So you are now yeah. thinking about it. Think yeah. about putting that structure together with zero dollar. Yeah. but with people like myself, Marlon, and all your friends around mm-hmm. saying, you know what, I think we can do this. Let's, we're going to put in $2,000. We're going to put in $5,000. I'm going to put in $10,000. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Have a, just think about having, let's say you want $100,000 capital to start. Right. You don't need this choppers. All what you need is to pass the accreditation, accreditation of uh, uh, of all the, you know, evasion checks and every other thing that you need to do, uh, regulatory standards, make sure you pass this stuff. You sign up. And I'm sure that there are so many other chopper companies in, 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 in Accra, but they don't use it for, you know, for, 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 for what do you call it? Uh, taking people to Cape Coast and all that. Tur- tourism. Yeah. Tourism.
2: Tourism. So, so yeah. this, let me tell you, um, Cape Coast can be Miami. Mm.
1: Mm.
2: Seriously. Like, that stretch of, I don't know how long, mm. kilometers, that stretch of ocean front is so beautiful. Uh, the difference between Cape Coast and Miami is the storms and the hurricanes and the natural disasters go the opposite d- direction. They don't hit yeah. Mother Africa, as you know, as a Nigerian. They don't, they don't come that yeah. way. Gulf Stream goes the other way, or the, the okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that that whole strip, maybe Nigeria as well. I haven't seen the coast. Mm. Is prime property.
3: It is. It is. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Eco Atlantic in in Lagos. Eco Atlantic. It's gonna be pro- when it's when it's done, probably one of the best places and the most expensive. Okay, in the world. Uh, I do know that, that there are apartments that are going for maybe five million dollar to rent annually. Who's think. the investors? Uh, Where are they from so many people, so so many people here and there, uh, <laughs> uh, here and there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but of course, uh, Eco Atlantic would be, and I do hope that they can actually complete that project. But I see that project being one of the prime locations in the world. You go to Lagos again, there's what you call the Banana Island, right? Trust mm-hmm. me, there are houses there. You think you're just in Palm Beach, Miami, with the kind of wow. houses there. And probably maybe even more expensive. Right, right. So we can actually develop those regions. And, and, and I'm glad that you're saying this because I think people just go and see and they cry about you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the the you know those stuff about the slavery and all and leave. Right. But we, right. You know, again, in as much as we want history to remain, we want development. We don't want to keep crying about, oh, they took us 2,000 years ago, they put chains in our hands. Yeah. We need to move on from there. We need to move on from there and think about, you know what, this is where they picked us. No, we want them to come back and see that we're leaving even better than they are living. It's not about competition, but it's the fact that we need to make a point that Africa is great. Amazing!
2: It's amazing. And, I, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I, I, you know, Morris, Morris knows this. I was on a business trip, man. I was there to, 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 to really feel Africa, but I was looking at, like you said, impact investment. Of course. So my whole lens was, what is needed? What's needed? And we'll fill that need.
3: And, and you know, when, when Ghana was talking about the return, year of return, yeah. um, I said one thing to them. I said, how are you monetizing your year of return? Because there are people with millions of dollars. Name them. Steve Harvey, Jay-Z, Osher Raymond, uh, PDD. These are black people, Africans, who you should be able to tell them, you know what? Why don't you come set up your Siroc factory in Ghana? We have all the beautiful flavors you can make your Siroc with. We can give you a tax uh, reduction. We can give you this. We can give you that. Find a way to monetize your ideas. Uh-huh. If you are doing a year of return, how are you monetizing it? Do you know that they made, I can't remember the money they made last year alone. I've
0: got, I've Actually, got maybe it. I've got many. it here. I've got it here. Like? Got it here. So, uh, so Heath, do you, do you remember during our 12 inspirational uh, entrepreneur women, uh, Julia Amfora, she said that she wishes the year of return was longer so that they could have implemented more investment um, tactics within that. And she's yeah. looking for, like, you know, beyond the return to be, like, even better within that. Um, so I just wanted to address the, uh, the numbers that came out of that. I just pulled that up while we were talking. Um, it says Ghana Tourism Authority estimates that each person, each person who came for the year of return Spent about two thousand three hundred ninety-one dollars. If that was spread across mm-hmm. equitably, the ministry spent little more than one million dollars promoting the year of return. And in yes. total, in total, the tourism made three point three billion dollars in twenty nineteen from the only year of from tourism. So think only about that. Only tourism, yes.
3: not investment, just tourism. So imagine, imagine if they had taken because I know Steve Harvey was there. You know, I know a lot of other big celebrities were there. You know, they had had Afrocella or something. So imagine if the president or whoever took that and said, Guys, you know what? I have this city I want to build. I want to build a new Ghana with skyscrapers, with investment houses, with uh, 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 a place like a DIFC, a health city, this, that, this, that. And tell them, We can actually offer you a citizenship if only you can look at putting investment in this project. Let's make it a reality. These people would have done this. But you see, again, the problem with Africa is we get carried away so much by the little and forget about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. If I had come up with the idea of year of return, I make sure that I monetize it 101%. Yeah, this three billion would have just been for something. But imagine the billions we would have gotten from showcasing investments.
2: Yeah, the uh, yeah. the number of uh, visas was 58,000
1: hmm.
2: visas to Ghana in 2018. In 2019, it was over 700,000 visas.
1: Great. Wow. Yeah.
2: So, and um, I paid for my visa, Well, maybe about 90 bucks, $90 for my visa. So, that was a lot of money.
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> you
2: know?
3: but, but I mean, again, as Nigerian, I don't think it's a lot because we spend a lot of money for on visas. You know? So, when I hear people complain about oh, it's too expensive, the visa is expensive. I'm like, look, as a Nigerian, if you hold a Nigerian passport, at least you would pay $150 to get a visa. To, yeah. for Europe or something. I mean, I haven't been in that position, you know, but, but, but I know a lot of friends of mine and family members who they spend a lot of money on visas. And, so,
2: and, and sometimes they get rejected, right?
3: Oh yeah, they get rejected. And your money, don't, you don't get a refund for that. You don't get a refund for that.
0: Hey, guys, um, a quick one. So in in uh, in Abu Dhabi right now, I don't know if you've got to watch MMA, but in Abu Dhabi right now, the, um, the UFC uh, is having this thing called Fight Island. Okay? Fight Island, they've partnered with Abu Dhabi. Like, they've been coming to Abu Dhabi for, like, the past four or five years. But with this, with, like, you know, all sports, um, you know, being shut down in America, and they have a lot of international fighters, they've spent – Hundreds of millions on Fight Island, which is really Yaz Island. They didn't create a new island. It's really Yaz Island, but they put all, all these facilities in place to have their pay-per-view money still coming in. Abu Dhabi said this is a good idea, even though they have no fans. No one can go to watch it. We can't go watch it, even though it's Abu Dhabi. Yeah, so there's no fans. Abu Dhabi has done this just because it's good for tourism. Yeah. So you see, yeah. visibility is their main thing. People that are sharp, and like you said earlier, Habila, the leadership is sharp. So they understand what this means for the for, for Abu Dhabi as a destination. No one's going to come, but just showing that on screens all over the world because they know that uh, UFC has a huge reach. It has a huge reach. Why didn't like you know why can't a place like Ghana say you know okay year of return people that come will see it. Well, how about we put this on screens everywhere? all over the world. Let's showcase uh, yeah. uh, Afrochella and Afro Nation on TV and film this live, etc., cetera, et cetera, Tourism needs to be shown yeah. in Africa. We need to tell our own stories, show our stories. Right. Yeah.
2: Su- I was surprised to, to, to hear or get to know how many people didn't know about the year of return. Hmm. Um, I don't know if the marketing wasn't on point. But um, year of return was more of more word of mouth after a while.
1: Yeah, there so
2: wasn't, there so. wasn't much uh, out there early. And I used to tell Marlon that soon as Donald Trump won in 2016, mm-hmm. that's when Ghana should have started their year of return campaign, mm-hmm. sort of like Expo 2020. Mm-hmm. They should have just started hitting. Soon as he won, they should have started saying, let's go, come back, visit. Yeah
3: yeah yeah i th- I think that what that should have happened but again you know um uh I, I think again it still goes back to who you know who we are as africans we we really really take things for granted and uh uh we we just feel you know what let's try it and see and well it's okay if if it's taking get into traction fine. we're okay with what we made um but but this can be better. This can be better. And I just hope that uh, other countries in Africa would follow what Ghana did and make it even much more better. Uh, I, I am very sure that Rwanda would also follow suit very soon. Uh, yeah, I know there. I know, I know he's one guy who loves to be ahead. And he is ahead. If you go to Rwanda today in Kigali, Kigali is like mini Dubai
0: or Singapore. Kigali is
3: like mini Dubai. Yeah. It's like mini Singapore. Yeah. You walk on the street without no fear at two, three a.m. Nobody's gonna talk to you. Nobody's gonna harass you. You feel hundred percent safe. The roads are perfect. There are streetlights everywhere. So this is have, what we're talking about. Good leadership.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I absolutely love what, what, uh, what Rwanda is doing, and uh, hopefully, something big will come out of that. You know, in terms of in terms of the tourism scene. We have some questions uh, just in the chat here. People, pe- people have had like, a lot to say back and forth, which we're so happy for it. Thank you, everybody. Uh, our good sister, Trey Lu has a um, comment about Nigeria. She says, since the pandemic, people that want okay. to travel to Nigeria, are they having to be quarantined upon arrival? Do they get tests in the airport, okay. for example? Like, you know, how's that working with tourism going into Nigeria for business or even for leisure?
3: So first of all, Nigeria is not even open for anything for business or for tourism at the moment. Uh, they're still locked. However, I think they've implemented that compulsory fourteen days uh, uh, that when you come in, it's either you take a test and then, um, uh, which of course at the moment that is not even in place. So it means that you have to actually isolate for fourteen days when you come into Nigeria but you can't even come at the moment because yes it's uh uh what you call it uh they they, they, they no there are no flights in and out of Nigeria at the moment
0: right and i wanted to mention uh as well and further to that um abu dhabi uh, uh, well uae actually is one of the rare uh few places in the world that are completely open right now in terms of tourism and uh the measures yeah. they've put in place, uh, you know, for the group, anyone else that has like a tourism question, the the, uh, the measures they've put in place is pretty much that you get a test in the airport. If you're fine from there, then you can come in. If there's any kind of issue, then there's the 14 days that you have to stay yeah. and obviously forfeit yeah. the money that you've spent. Yeah. If you don't have time, whatever, then, that's, then that, that's pretty much your problem because you didn't have mm-hmm. the test before. Mm-hmm. But if you're mm-hmm. fine, then you can pretty much have tourism yeah. just like how it was before and all the measures are already in place here as we see in the shopping malls, yeah. desert safaris, etc. But most yeah. other countries are not like that. Yeah. Um,
3: we- and, and sorry, just just to answer again, uh, I mean, again, you need to know that at the moment U.S. is on the so many blacklists for traveling uh, and according to the Passport Index, the visa-free for U.S. has dropped from 170 to about 110. So... The American passport is now 25th uh, wow. global ranking. Uh, wow. And this is simple. You see, the world is changing, guys. And right now, it's how you handle situations in your country. This is how you'll be respected. Things are changing. It's no longer about how much money you've got in the country. It's about how you've been able to handle pandemics, situations,
0: crises. Or, but we have another question in the group here um with u.s currency being affected uh during this time what do you think about gold uh habila and if someone has already invested in gold what should they what should they do with it at this point
3: gold will always be gold uh gold would it's it's one it's one commodity that would always be strong Uh, and so I don't see, you should have no fear if your funds are actually invested in gold at the moment, Um, and actually I think it's a good time. The US dollar, yeah, is falling, but it's still strong, Um, and I tell you a simple example. At the moment in Nigeria, there's there's a scarcity of dollar in Nigeria. You wouldn't believe that dollar moved from 360 to 460, okay, for a naira. From 360 to 460 and people, if you can't even get it at the 460, okay, you need to pay at least 470 or maybe even 480. So, yes, we're saying the US currency is weak and all that at the moment, but again, even the dollar you, you're investing with uh, sorry, the gold, it's you are actually using dollar, it's basically the rate actually is in dollar and not in euros. Mm. And I think this is the problem we're having in the world. And a lot of people believe that the pandemic is all about a trade war and all that because uh, China, the, the yen is actually gaining value at the moment because China is the only place now really doing business and booming business. They're producing face masks. They're producing sanitizers. They're producing everything. They don't care about oil and gas. What they right. care about is industrialization,
0: manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're good with gold. Someone wanted to mention about the uh, cars uh, vehicle production on the continent conversation we were having earlier. And I, actually two different people. One mentioned the Kentanka in Ghana, and the other says there's one in Nigeria called the Inosun. Yes,
3: Inosun. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, that, now my, my, my whole, my whole um, point on that is the fact that how do we go global from local, right. all right? And this is why I asked apart from you being very knowledgeable in Africa, I'm sure so many other Africans don't even know about Inosan.
0: I was about to say that as you well. How, how many other countries is the Kentaka being sold in besides Ghana, yeah. even within the continent, and also the Innocent.
3: Yeah, Yes. I mean, even Inosan even itself, is the government even patronizing Inosan? Mm-hmm. The answer is no. Right. Are the people patronizing him? The answer is no. So this is a man who wants to, of course, you know, uh, uh, have his own uh, Nigerian-made cars, or Ghana-made cars, or whatever. But still yet, people are not in any way wanting to even support that business. They don't even believe in the product. How do we move from there to believing in what is made and produced from the continent?
0: So somebody somebody was saying that um, uh, Jewish people had a secret conversation. And he said, like, an older Jewish guy told him this. He, uh, excuse me, Asian guy told him this, like, you know, be it Japanese, Chinese, etc. He said, that like, they had a secret conversation saying that we decided we're going to buy from ourselves. We're not going to buy your stuff. And everyone here knows it. He said, when Africans and diaspora have that conversation, that's when we're going to start to develop, really. When we have the agreements, the unspoken agreement that we're going to buy from ourselves, and that's it, that's when we're going to actually start prospering. So same like we're talking about, like, you know, the Japanese cars, the Japanese are buying that. They're not purchasing American cars heavy, et cetera. So that's what needs to happen, like, you know, with all this wealth um, generation, needs to stay in the continent by supporting each other's economies.
3: Of course, of course. But I see, I see that this generation, our generation, is changing it. Yeah. We're changing the narrative. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that We're supporting each other's business. Uh, 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 I mean, at the moment, I, 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 I mean, I, I rather, I rather go on. Uh, you know, my, 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 my brother team has an app called or Jamia, and, yeah. and 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 you know, I rather go there and go online, and order what I want to order supporting black business, supporting African business, okay? This is how we need to do. And until, you're right, until we start doing that, then we're just we're just talking. We're just yeah. talking. Until I can get up in the morning and go to the bank, cash out money to go buy a car made by Inosun and not a BMW or a Lexus or whatever, then how can he actually improve? How can he... How, 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 how can he go global? Right. We have to do it. We have a population. Probably Africa has probably one of the largest population, uh, apart from Asia. We have the population. In Nigeria alone, we are about 200 million people. Okay? We're about 200 million That's, people. Is that in-country in to or
2: total diaspora as well?
3: No, only, only, only in the country. So that, means, that, so that means you have three, 300 million worldwide. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. But we're 300 million people in Nigeria. So the numbers are there. And the money is there. And I tell you, I've done, I've done this research and I've seen that at least 45% of the population are wealthy. You don't find that number anywhere in the world. 45%. But still yet, yeah, the gap between the poor and the
0: rich it's it's huge it's huge huge, huge, Huge. hey um uh springing from that we have another question in the group about um how is it and this is and, 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 and like this is this is obvious to you of course but like it blows some people's minds especially in america how is it that in africa there's not good health coverage but there are so many great doctors from african countries in the u.s corruption
3: <laughs> they steal all the money they don't build good hospitals what do you expect i would rather go to america or to london i don't want to kill somebody i don't want to be i don't want to be held for killing an individual just because i didn't have the equipment do you understand yeah. my point right. just because i didn't have a a, a a a an oxygen in the hospital it goes as bad as that Right, Just because I didn't have a monitor uh, uh, or maybe a, a CT scan or an ultrasound. So corruption, they have ripped up the countries. They have taken all the money. And of course, the people who are, uh, are professionals rather go out to work in an environment where the equipment are there for them to save lives. Every doctor wants to save life. Every nurse wants to give the best she can as a caregiver to her patients. But if those facilities are not there in the country, then they leave. so it's, it's, so it's not rocket science. Corruption is the answer to this
0: question. Let's take Cuba, for example. Okay, so Cuba, um, you know Cuba has embargoes and like for decades and decades situation they've been in. But they have some of the best doctors in the world, and they get paid very little to be doctors, but they stay in Cuba. And whenever anyone in the world needs Cuban doctors, they travel in a squad to go to that country and help out that country as Cuban doctors. Like that's like that's their dipl- diplomatic mission, is what Castro called. Yeah. They do medical diplomacy. Yeah.
3: But what I think I think for the case of Cuba is is, is really different because uh, 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 I think uh, Fidel Castro tried as much as he can to keep his people and. Uh, uh, he, when you talk about plastic surgery and the rest of them, Cubans are basically one of the best in the world you have. Uh, so, keeping the people in the country in as much as they end as little, but they're happy. And maybe the facility is there. I, I don't know much about the health system there, but probably the facilities, the health system there is much more better, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so, why would they have to leave? Why would they have to leave? people don't really want much in life. What people want is the basic, the yeah. basic things. When you provide the basic things to an individual, they're happy. Provide light, provide water,
0: provide good health uh, care system.
3: This is what people want, infrastructures.
0: Definitely agree. Um, this is a good one from a good friend of mine and I, she rarely comes on, comes on the show. Uh, my friend Melanie, how you doing? She's in the UK. And uh, she said that she, um, she's definitely interested in education in uh, Tanzania or Rwanda, and we were talking about that earlier uh, as well. And I think I'll I'll just I'll just share what we already said, uh, in Melanie. That, that you know it's good to operate from a business standpoint when you think about education and as well as healthcare. You know we have to operate from a business standpoint of coming in wanting to do business within education uh, and and healthcare and manufacturing. You know, it's not about charity or just, you know, uh, uh, you know, having a big heart, you know, as, as Habila was saying, impact investing. And I think that's getting more and more popular. Um, you know, even Habila, I met, I met with you a little bit before the pandemic and uh, we were talking about even like big guys doing impact investing and wanting their name known for they've given a big money to an impact. Uh, you speak on that.
3: Yeah, so so basically, uh, again, you know, like I said, we are basically even, of course, leading a delegation of um, uh, a campaign where we want to raise a million dollars, again, to put in education in Tanzania. Um, uh, we've actually realized that Tanzania has one of the poorest educational systems in the world, okay? It is that bad. And um, the truth is, they don't even want to agree to the fact that they... Uh, you know, are undereducated. So what we're trying to do is to speak to people across the world, across Africa, uh, to see how they can invest in this educational system in Tanzania. But you see, surprisingly that even the people of Tanzania are not ready to contribute to this cause. And I recall telling someone that, how do you expect me bringing half a million dollars from Nigeria your country and you cannot even get fifty thousand dollars to impact a system that should change for your people so these are some of the things that i sit down and i wonder what is actually going on in tanzania and you can see that clearly even the president is saying to the world that as far as it's concerned there's no COVID. everybody go and live your life Mm So with what we have done and as people in our own capacity is to try as much as we can to raise this money, to improve on this education. And I think we need people like, you know, Melanie, like Heath to to come into that system and help change uh, what is happening in, in Tanzania. We need to build more schools. And when we build more schools, who do we need? We need professionals like yourselves.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, my, my eyes, my heart is all on Africa, to be honest with you. My mind, it's all on Africa. And um, I, I like I said, I mentioned before Malawi, I'm going to take a trip as soon as the country opens up, as soon as I get some time. It's probably going to be December.
3: Yeah, And, and, and let me work. know about Malawi. I, I think it's one place we can really, because I feel it's a forgotten place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know As a forum uh, Global citizen forum We would be Really excited To see how we can We can really uh, Work uh, on that uh, We are At the moment For the first time um, uh, We've appointed An ambassador Coming from Africa Yesterday uh, And I'm yeah. proud to say That I came in As the head of Africa And I said You know what We need more Africans To come into this Okay uh, You know We, we cannot keep Seeing Africa as a place as a dumping ground, okay, right. we should stop seeing that it's no longer a dumping ground. And I kept saying, What happens to Africans even going to Europe to touch people's life? To you know, there, there, there's, there's the poverty in Europe, it's, it's, it's something else, it's crazy. Uh-huh. Maybe you, you haven't really seen poverty, but I don't know if you've traveled to some part of Europe like Budva in Montenegro and the rest of them, these people are extremely hungry.
2: Yes, squalor. I mean, okay. as a matter of
3: fact, you can tell by the UAE
2: that the, yeah. the people
3: come here to work. So, so you can imagine yeah. that these are the problems going on in there, but they do not show it because the moment they show that, the moment you show anything like that, you become weak yeah, as a continent. And mm-hmm. this is what Africa has failed to do. We have failed to project the good stories. Rather, we're projecting the bad stories. And our leaders are happy to project the bad stories because they get grants from international communities to put in their pockets. Okay? That's so, the saboteur. That's yeah. a saboteur right there. No, exactly. So, so, so the more you and I and every other person here can keep talking about the good story, can keep saying that, look, we are not hungry people. We just need the basic things, and we need our leaders to do it for
0: us. Yeah.
3: That's all we need. That's all we need.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much, Abila. It's been, it's, been, it's been a very varied uh, conversation um, and, and powerful on every level. Uh, Heath and I knew it was going to be this coming in. We knew like to be ready with, 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 with our ears open and our pads ready to take notes. Um, I hope everyone else enjoyed it as well. And we want to we want we want to put the put like the final point to you on a on a um on like a a, a, a a bright vision, you know, in terms of you being a global citizen and even in business involved in global citizenship, kind of shine light on um, the things that you enjoy in life, from your family to leisure, travel, work-life balance. You know, can you kind of like wrap it up with like that 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 entire kind of kind, kind of you know kind of feeling that you have?
2: And, bef- I, and before I, you do, before you do, let me tell you, your IG is
3: very brother. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I I I, I think uh, I think traveling probably is one of it. I think, and again, it comes with my job, so I I really I really enjoy it, and I try to create time to to enjoy life when I do, because um, most times when I'm back in Dubai, to be honest, I just want to rest. Like, I just want to shut down because I'm thinking of the next flight to get on. So for me, I enjoy life a lot. Uh, I, I enjoy music, you know. Uh, maybe you don't know, but you know I used to make music back in the days and and I, I was a hip hop head, I was a producer and I, I, I always had this dream of being Timberland. Uh, anyway, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Uh, I chose I chose another part. but however, it's still part of me, you know, I, I, I enjoy doing research. Um, and, and one of the things I would have really want to talk about is about Libya, but of course we don't have time. And, and Libya is one place again that is very dear to my heart in Africa, and, and this is because of you know the issue they went through, you know, taking uh, out of Maman Gaddafi and what the country has been. Libya used to be one of the greatest nations in the world, and today, well, uh, 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 it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I really do enjoy spending time with family with. You know, uh, um, uh, do music and you know. Uh, doing, um, I, I don't do much of sports, but music, yes. Music is something I I really love too You you, you, <laughs> you? I, I, I I enjoy drinks. I enjoy having drinks <laughs> and <laughs> cigars. You enjoy cigars. Yes 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 yes. I'm not sure if you've met me in my man cave, but I know I see Williams is a, is aligned. We we've, we've met a couple of times in my man cave. I call it. Uh, and probably, probably, I would invite you and you and Marlon one of these
0: days to come by. Come on, man! You know, <laughs> you know, you know, I love my cigars and my whiskey as well, man.
3: But of also, course, um,
0: uh, art too. You're 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 an avid art collector uh, as well as well as I saw. You're a golfer as well. Yes,
3: yes, I enjoy playing golf. Uh, even though I haven't been there in a in a while now, uh, but yes, golfing is something I really love to do um, because. If, connect me with people again, all right? Uh, And it's it's one place that you go to and you interact and you learn. Um, You always see people in their 70s, 60s on the golf course. And these people have so much knowledge that I enjoy talking to and learning from. So when I go on that golf course, what I love doing is playing the golf and talking to these people and learning, learning, learning from their experiences in life. Business failures, business success, and these are the things because I've been through all this, you know, stages in life. And uh, I believe one of the most important things you can do for yourself is learn from your mistakes, from your failures, and, you know, uh, never stay down when you fall. Never stay down when you fall.
0: For sure.
2: This is going to be a very good lesson. And I believe this is going to mature because much of the things that uh, we talked about with uh, Hibila are just global things that we've been trying to, you know, they're just messages and, and game, for lack of better words, that everybody's going to need to hear. So I know I'll be watching this and listening to it more than once.
3: Let's not forget that tonight we talked about what, how we can impact each other and what we call the impact investment for Definitely. our continent it doesn't matter if you're American or if you're from the UK, from the Caribbean, as long as you're a black person, then you should look at Africa as a place where you should put all that you have in. And God's willing, someday I'm going to be president of, the, of Nigeria. And of course, I will, I will see how, we can, <laughs> how, how we, can, we can we can make things better for everyone. And, and yes, this is one thing that I will do to open my borders to every black individual to call home and feel safe.
0: Can you please plug yourself, uh, Habila? Let us know where we can find you on IG and your website, Art on Capital, and just like give us a final plug about yourself.
3: So basically, you can find me, my name, the way it is, Habila Malgui. I'm very, very short and simple. Uh, on Instagram, uh, our website is www.artoncapital.com or www.globalcitizenforum.org. Uh, these are the two websites you can you can go online. You can you can Google us. You can check out what we do. Uh, and of course, uh, we're always happy to receive you know uh, inquiries. And of course, if you have ideas you like to share through the Global Citizen Forum, I'm here to 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 assist as much as
0: I can. Great. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being with us today. Appreciate this so much. And as we always say at this time, live global and prosper. Peace. Thank
3: Peace you so everybody. much. Thank you for having me.
0: Check us out on YouTube, Global Brothers Podcast, and please subscribe and share and you know continue to support you know good yeah. time. Thanks everybody. Mr. Worldwide!